Hello and welcome to Inside Out, the podcast where we redefine success with entrepreneurs and other badass millennials. I'm your host, Jane Z. Wow, it is the end of an era. Two seasons, 43 episodes, and almost one year later, today is the final episode of Inside Out with Jane Z. But do not fret, Jane Z is not going anywhere. I will simply be pivoting the show to a new and exciting direction. And we'll be back here on the exact same podcast feed, so make sure you're subscribed on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening. I'll be dropping the trailer in the next week, so stay tuned. But for our last episode, I am so honored today to introduce Rafe Offer, the founder of So Far Sounds, the company that brings you intimate concerts in secret locations in over 400 cities around the world. SoFar has hosted tens of thousands of shows over the last 12 years at super unique venues, like for one, a ski jump in Norway, and Rave had a really funny story about this one. They've held shows at multiple graveyards, a mattress store, and many, many living rooms of gracious hosts. Artists you've definitely heard of, like Billie Eilish, Leon Bridges, The XX, Noah Cyrus, and others, got their starts performing at SoFar shows. At last count, they've had over 80 acts go on to win or be nominated for Grammys who were relatively unknown when they played. Today, Rafe and I chat all things music and business. He shares a fun little story from pre-SoFar days about his 60 minutes of fame at Disney World, and how he's managed to build and keep growing a live events company through the pandemic. Before we jump in, I want to say a big thank you for tuning in to Inside Out. This has been quite the journey, and I'm so, so grateful you're here, whether it's your first episode or 43rd. I'm cooking up some exciting content for the next leg of the journey, and I really hope you'll join me. So make sure you're subscribed and be sure to follow Inside Out with Jane on Instagram for live updates. That's it for my PSAs. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Rafe. Thank you, Jane. Good to be here. I think we should tell listeners how we met. So I went to my first So Far show in Boston and you happened to be in town from London and we met of all places in the bathroom, gender neutral bathroom, very progressive. I remember you were very friendly and you asked, you know, hey, have you been to So Far shows before? How did you hear about it? And I just thought, wow, like this guy's really friendly. And and I had no idea until they started the show and the host announced that Rafe off the founder of So Far Sounds is in town. And I was like, oh my God, that was the guy. I hope I didn't say anything stupid. (laughs) Far from it. I always love it when I talk to people and it's their first time because you get a sense from somebody fresh who hasn't been before. Do they even like it? What do they think? And can we learn to be a bit better? And I just thought you were super friendly. And the guy who you were with, who I think was yeah, a musician who played that night. So it was all, as you said, it all just worked yeah. out because I was able to hear more about him too. Yeah, my fiance happened to jump into one of the shows. Yeah. Our friend Makati was in town and he was playing that night. Yeah, it was a great show. Every set was amazing. You guys do a wonderful job of vetting. So you did, you came over and, and did like a US tour, right? For a month or so? I did, yeah. After I met you uh, by the bathroom that night, I think I attended 11 
events across America. It was a real joy. Yeah, first of all, you see the great, you see our great country, and you get a sense for how different it is, and also how the music changes locally. Because everyone was intimate, like where we met, i.e., 70, 80 people, something like that. Mm -hmm. But it was the local scene, and mm -hmm. whether you're in Louisville or Los Angeles, it was always a little bit different, and yet the same, because there are people coming together to enjoy music. Do you feel like you got local musical flavors of every city you went to? Totally. In the South, yeah, there was more bluegrass, more gospel, slightly more soul. You find soul everywhere. It was just slightly more. And the West Coast, it was more airy, more sunny. And then in, in the Midwest, possibly slightly more rocky with little lashes of hip hop and soul, especially in Chicago. So, yeah, you do get a flavor, and then you get the flavor just in the way people are, the accents, uh, the different forms of hospitality. When in Kentucky, I was offered bourbon. When in Chicago, I was offered a certain kind of local beer. Every city's got its libations. Yes, exactly. You grew up in the States, right? Was it Chicago where you grew up? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Chicago. I do live in London now, and I'm calling you from there. But I spent much of my life in Chicago, and I also lived in California and New York before coming over here. This is a long time ago now, but what did your life and career look like before so far? I, I heard you were a Mickey Mouse marketer at one point. <laughs> it's funny. My first day at Disney, I was asked, along with the other 12 people, to dress up. And they take you to Disney World and... I'm not supposed to tell anyone this story, but I'm sure not the only one to reveal this little secret. They take you, quote unquote, backstage to like a, an area that's like the size of a football field. And they ask you who your favorite character was growing up. And I said, Goofy. And they, they measure you for that costume. In my case, I wasn't tall enough to be Goofy. So I ended up finding basically my 15th choice <laughs> after all the sizes didn't quite work. But the fun of it was going backstage, seeing where the magic was and learning what it was like to really dress up and then go into the theme park and be like a rock star mm. for an hour. My point in my story was I learned a lot that day about what it is to be creating some bit of magic. And I think music, you know, in its best days is a bit magical if you're really leaning in and enjoying it. And so, mm. yeah. I learned a lot from Disney, also about obsession to detail. Uh, really great company, but also very mm. intense. What character did you end up dressing up as? Friar Tuck from Robin Hood, which I had really no experience with. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's like, okay, who's Friar Tuck? Fine, I'll go with it. He was like some <laughs> local local sheriff. So not the household one, like not the Plutos, not the Donald Duck. But it didn't matter in the end. It was, no. super, it was super fun. The weird thing, though, Jane, is it's really hard to be in those costumes. It is really hot. It's like 100 degrees. You're sweating. You can hear yourself oh. breathing like Darth Vader in the big thing. You're trying to perform, but you're like dying to get out. Uh, do you watch Succession on HBO? I have not. What's that about? 
It's an excellent show. It's about a wealthy family, like essentially mm. think of like the Fox or Disney family. But mm. there's one scene where you meet the young nephew and it's his first day. He applies for a job at an amusement park and he mm. gets in one of those costumes and it's just a disaster because <laughs> the kids are all over him and he's hung over. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, great show. It sounds like me without without the hangover. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> So you were at Disney for a while. You worked in New York for a bit also yeah. before moving to London. Yeah, exactly. Worked in New York in advertising and then came over to London to work for a large drinks company called Diageo, which makes things like Guinness okay. and Johnny Walker and Bailey's and other things. So it was a lot of fun working to make new drinks and to go out to bars and see how our customers were feeling. Mm. You know, twist my arm. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a tough job. So was one of those bar trips when the idea for So Far Sounds came about? It was related to that. Yeah, good good point. But it was more around a night off. It was a bar, in fact. And there was a band playing called The Friendly Fires. And while they were playing, and they're quite a loud band, but while they were playing... I couldn't believe how much other noise there was in the bar. And so I turned to my friends, Dave and Rocky, uh, just said, this is crazy. You know, there's all this noise here, noise from the bar being open. You know, my business, my fault, but the bar was open and you could hear the clanging of the beer bottles. You know, we've all been there, right? And then, you know, mm. obsession with phones, people taking pictures, doing things that sort of got in the way of you hearing or enjoying it. And so, yeah, that night I was like, there's got to be a better way. My friends agreed. And we started this thing you mentioned earlier called So Far Sounds. I love the irony of, of your friend Rocky. Wasn't his name Rocky Start? Yes, his name is Rocky Start. I always joke, you know, be careful if you're going to start a business with someone with that name. Right. <laughs> but thankfully, it's been going pretty well. It's been, what, over 10 years now? It has, yeah. It's secret gigs, intimate gigs in small spaces around the world. Yeah, it was tough at the beginning, convincing people to come to a living room where we started to hear music, convincing bands to play, especially ones that we thought had a lot of talent because they're so used to playing in bars with loud noises and gross toilets and difficult sight lines and all the things that many people have experienced. But it was actually hard to convince people to do something new. But yeah, 10 years later, we are pre-COVID and we'll be back there again soon, you know, doing nearly a thousand events a month. Pretty crazy. Wow. That's a, yeah, that is pretty crazy. Those beginning days you mentioned, the the mm. hard part is like getting people to do something new. Mm. Both, was, would you say both the audience and the musicians? Absolutely. And also getting someone to offer to host. So the musicians, it takes time because they're not sure they want to do it unless it feels credible. The more really good musicians you're able to convince to come, the more likely other good musicians will be like, okay, that's something I'd like to try. And also you have to build up a bit of time where they know that it's worth their time to come because people will be appreciative. And then after the event, people mm -hmm. will support you. If you come and play to only 70, 80, 90 people, but those 80, 90 people become evangelists, that's pretty special. They then share it with all right. their friends 
in the early days, we always made a video and now we still do, but not quite as frequently because we do so many. But if you come and, you know, and, and there's some content made, that's really helpful as well. Fans, it was a little easier because we're, it was free for years. And we're like, just come, trust us once, check it out. Whereas hosts was always hard because we were like, we're going to try to get 80 people to come to your house if you can fit them or church basement or carpet store <laughs> or whatever. And you're not going to know them well, but trust us. They won't trash your place. It'll be okay. Trust us. So that even today, years later, is still occasionally challenging. Does it usually work out? Like no drama, no trashing of places? <laughs> I mean, it always works out. So we've done maybe, I haven't counted recently, but let's call it north of 40,000 events. I'm probably off a bit, but it's a lot, whatever it is. And we pretty much had never had a terrible incident, never had, you know, fights, stuff going missing, never had the kind of thing you could imagine when you hear the word house party. And that's because it's a very, you were there, you know, it's a very <laughs> chill event. It's quiet. People don't get drunk. Yeah. It's not about anything. And it's over early. It's over at like 10 o'clock. So it's, it's a lean in, almost like a meditation right to music. So I wish I could sit here and tell you stories of chairs going flying through windows. That might be more fun. But no, that would not be fun for you <laughs> from uh. the business side. But yeah, it's true. I mean, that night really was something special. And I think with so far, it's hard to explain it until you actually experience it yourself, because mm. so much of it is about the intimacy. Like there was one moment where Jija, one of the performers, had us look at a stranger in the eye and say something to each other. Like you would never get that kind of experience at a big stadium concert. So I thought that was really, really special. One of the things that happened early on was it felt more like a community in that barriers are down because it's so quiet and because people usually sit on the floor and they're next to each other. And even if you don't know somebody, you're friendly. And many of the events are bring your own so people would share or like, hey, I forgot my wine opener and conversations happen. And I think really importantly, people are coming, they don't know what they're going to hear. Not at every single one. We do other types of events, but most of them. So I think people are just up for it, up for meeting people, doing new stuff. I feel like you could resolve so many political debates by just putting people at a so far show, just letting them mingle. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about that, not necessarily so far, but just in general, that if you realize you have something in common with somebody, like a love of art, an artist, a painting, a sports team, you know, whatever, that that's a short distance. And then you're like, oh, by the way, we massively disagree politically, but we've now realized and established we're humans who love this band, mm -hmm. and then we can work from there. So I think you're on to something really important when you talk about the world is definitely closer together through those things. We bring so many people together to the point where people often come who are single or on a first date. And we've had, I think a last count about 28 people meet someone at the event that they got married to later. Oh, that's beautiful. We've had proposals and on tape and we've had the people getting married invite back the band that played that night to play at their weddings because it was obviously so meaningful that oh. they met on that night. 
Oh, wow. I love that. That's so beautiful. What have been some of the cool venues? I mean, over 40,000 events, like (laughs) that must be wild. But I've heard you guys have had concerts in a forest and a mattress store. What are some of your most memorable venues and shows? Yeah, I think number one on the list has to be the top of the ski jump. And that was outside of Oslo, (laughs) Norway. And it wasn't our idea. It was the government's idea. They had this ski jump that was not as busy in the summer. I think they used it for bungee jumping. So they invited us along to have an event on the rooftop observation above right where you would jump off for the ski jump, which actually fit about 50 or 60 people. So the day came and we usually have three bands and the the main kind of the main act was quite well known because by then it was a a, a thing which had coverage with local media and stuff like that. And so anyway, the band came and they had thought it was at the bottom of the ski jump. They didn't realize you had to take this little elevator up to the top and it's super high. And that's when the lead singer revealed that he was afraid of heights. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no how are we gonna get him to the top <laughs> so a lot of hand holding and maybe a few drinks later he did get up to the top and then as soon as he got to the top they were getting ready like a helicopter flew by really low like to the point where you're like whoa <sighs> it was just one you know scary moment after the next it was very 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 windy it rained then then just as the gig started it stopped training and it was all fine so that that's super memorable wow. I think we've definitely done some in graveyards and that's always interesting and mm. is your, your point of forest we've done them in uh, centuries old museums in the UK I mean you just pick a place and, and as long as it's quiet and there's room for people to sit you know maybe we can have a gig there So have some of the shows been unplugged? Because I imagine a big logistical challenge is just lugging all the equipment and amps and gear and all that. Most of them over the years have, yes, been unplugged. That's how we started, because you're absolutely right. And then Mm -hmm. when the musician said, you know what, I do need something, we would often make it DIY and just say, okay, bring your own and let's just make it stripped back. So it's super rare that we have like a massive sound system. Now, as we're a little more uh, established, we try to bring a small speaker system to make it work, but not always needed. So at this point, you guys have had some pretty big names at your shows. I was looking at your YouTube and I actually didn't put the puzzle pieces together till later after I went to a so far because I've seen the so far sounds YouTube channel mm. and I remember watching Billie Eilish on your channel, Nipom, Noah Cyrus, like really they're blown out of the water now, but mm. you know, started at humble beginnings with so far sounds. Um, do you see so far as sort of an incubator for musicians? It's a great question, almost, I would say. I guess when you think of an incubator, like we're there nurturing and working with them and getting them to the next level, I think we do that more informally. And part of the vision of the company over the next few years Mm -hmm. is to make it more plausible that if you do play a so far, you will get support and you will have a better chance of succeeding in, in some ways. And when I say success, I don't mean we'd ever promise anyone would become famous 
or you know a star it's more about giving you the tools to get the word out better and to get more fans and to get more money and all the kinds of things that can help you as an artist reach your dream of being sustainable i would say that that's to me the goal can we get more musicians who are just starting out sustainable i.e. they don't have to take another job they don't have to do something that's kind of soul destroying for them because they're doing what they love and is paying them enough money to pay the bills so i think that's that's how we look at it we are also really uh careful about who comes to play because if you're a fan and you're paying money now we want to make sure that you get rewarded with especially if we're going to surprise you something that feels really good still today most of the world is still free it's just in the US and the UK where we've grown so much we have a ticketing system but the point is whether you're paying or not as a fan we like to have the music be of a high quality so to your point about incubator yeah it's more likely that if you have a leon bridges who played in dallas or the xx or a band called bastille who played over here when you have these acts playing they're they're going to go somewhere I think at last count, we had over 80 acts go on to win or be nominated for Grammys who were unknown when they played. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, on the money thing, I mean, that's the constant struggle for musicians, right? Just Mm. trying to make it, always hustling for gigs and trying to pay rent. Um, Mm. My fiance went to music school and a lot of his friends are slash were full-time musicians. Um, A lot of his 20s was hustling to work at wedding gigs and whatnot. Mm. And he's been involved in a couple music startups as well. But you know, it's it's hard making money in the music world. If you're open to share on the financial side, how did you guys make it work when mm. the concerts were free? Yeah, well, when the concerts were free, we were doing this as a volunteer project. I, did, I didn't pay myself for five years, more than five years. So we started out as a hobby and it would work because yeah, everybody would come, they would volunteer, they would do it for fun. People would, you know, donate their space. People donate some time to welcome people at the door to MC to your question before about the sound equipment. Usually the bands would bring it, but maybe we'd pitch in and then we'd even have people doing videos afterwards for the love of the project. So we had it going that way. And it was only when we got, noticed and a lot of people wanted to come and we're like yee you know we would have a thousand people wanting to come to one event and you could fit 50 or 60 in the room we're like we should be doing more so that was the point when we decided we needed to charge so we could pay ourselves something we wanted to do it in a way that could help a lot of musicians so that's when we decided to raise money from investors so we just tried to grow in a way where we were sustainable so we could help make the musicians sustainable. Wow. So you didn't pay yourself for five years. Was mm-hmm. Were you working a separate job at the time or were you kind of living off of savings? I was freelancing. Freelancing is a great thing, right? You know, okay. you can make a bit of money yeah. here and there. I made enough to pay for my my existence, my family, and I did this. So this was like five hours a week, then 10 hours, then eventually 20 hours. And I think that was a bit of a cutoff point. To be honest, Jane, many, if not most successful entrepreneurs are jugglers and who find a way to make money that has nothing to do with their startup for a while, some for a long time. 
and then they cross the line to making it full-time when it's successful. Thank you for sharing that. I'm so glad you said that and, and put it out there as someone who's stuck with it for so long, because I think, especially here in the States, there's this idea that you have to go out and raise a bunch of money, grow the thing as fast as possible and put your all into it. And I think not as much talked about is, well, there's different ways of making it work and you're probably not going to be an overnight success and it's probably going to take years. So you got to find a way to support yourself while that thing grows. Totally. It's very hard to make something work if you're worried about paying for your food bill. It's even worse if you, know, if you have a family to support you or even harder, I should say. How has the business pivoted and adapted over the pandemic? Hmm. Yeah, that was a rough one. I think like so many businesses <laughs> that, that did live events, we pivoted to digital right away. And so we had a live stream within about two weeks of it being clear we couldn't do any real events anymore. And then we did one every day, at least mm -hmm. one. And so that was something. Wow. That, we just made a decision to not pay ourselves or charge to have it all be donations only and have 100% of the money go to the musicians because unlike us, they weren't necessarily wow. back, backed by venture capitalists. We, we right. Basically, we were able to raise a lot of money for the artists. Uh, so that was the first thing we did. Then we made webinars, again, for the artists that were free, for like how to set up a home recording studio, how to write a song and just some new, but someone to learn. And we did about 25 of those. And then we managed to get a few sponsorships mm. from brands like a beer brand, for example, that wanted to do something with us to sponsor digital shows. And then I think like many companies, we also thought about, Hey, how can we rip the playbook up and do this all really better? How can we be more efficient after COVID whenever COVID would end? How can we innovate and try some cool new things? What were some of those ideas? Can you One that? of them was, yeah, as, as artists start to get a bit more successful and not need so far, we decided that we would break our own rule and announce their playing and let them come back. And so we still keep it intimate, like what you experienced, maybe 70, 80 people. But the difference is we'd say such and such band is playing who already has a bit of a following and might play normally to 500 people or 1,000 people or 2,000 people. I'm not talking you know, Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift. We're talking sort of medium popular. We would announce to their fans that there's a special intimate gig. And if you want to go, this is where it's going to be. And, and we decided to make the ticket price more expensive, but up to the artists so they could decide what they thought their fans would pay to see them in a small space. And then give a, a large chunk of it, roughly 70%, after expenses to the artist. So they then end up being paid pretty well. It's an announced show, but it allows us to ensure that we do something with them as they grow. So that, that's an example of something we had never do mm -hmm. done before. Another example, not as exciting, but is private shows. So, hey, let's say, Jane, it's, you know, it's your birthday and you wanted 50 people from around the world to partake we can find a band have them play over zoom structure it mc etc i love that 
I, I like that first idea a lot because those artists can bring their fans and you guys bring the experience in the venues. So mm. it sounds like a win-win on both ends. That's what we're hoping. One of the real dreams oh, is to tour artists. So we built better technology so we can do that. So it's super easy, like ordering an Uber. If you want to play across you know, the world and in these 30 cities, yeah. you can play from city to city with us. We need a little time to get there, but that's definitely a dream, not just for us, but for musicians. Most of them just want to play as much as they can. How does that work when you say like booking an Uber? Like mm. they would tell you what shows they want to join for or? Uh, even better, they would, we're not there yet, but this is where we hope to get to. And <clears throat> we worked a lot on this sort of technology during the downtime that COVID created the sense of, oh, I'm going to either already be touring the South, but I have these five nights when I'm not having a gig and I can look on a map and plot mm. where I'll play with so far, if we, if so far is in that city, or, oh, I want to just travel with so far. And so I just type in these 10 cities and press go literally. And then the city leaders or whoever's booking for those cities get the request and they would have to line up the dates so that's what I meant by booking over, just down to the sense of just pressing a button and making mm. something happen. Huh. That sounds very cool. I guess that's the beauty of secret shows where you don't announce the musicians is mm. you could change the lineup up to the last second, right? Yeah, and they can drop off. And yeah, you, yeah you're right. That's actually saved us <laughs> right. many times. Like, oops, you know, this act isn't playing, but here comes another one. And people don't know that that happened. You can even change the venue last minute sometimes <laughs> if you need to. Right. Going back to the creating magical experiences, mm -hmm. what's the show or maybe a few shows that changed your life in terms of the music or, or just the experience? I would say when I was very young, I saw a band called The Talking Heads and that concert was so good. It ended up being a movie called Stop Making Sense where the front guy, David Byrne, came out mm -hmm by himself and played a song called Psycho Killer. And then he had, I think, 13 people. And each time they played another song, another musician came out. So second song was two people, third song was three people. And by the time they were at song 13, there were 13 people on stage. And it was magnificent. Wow. It was magnificent. That was just ridiculous. I think with So Far, <clears throat> the first time I watched a beatboxer at So Far play unplugged without the mic, a guy who had played for, you know, 10, 20,000 people recently, but then played to a hundred of us unplugged. And we learned later he was one of the best beatboxers in the world. That was insane because it was just so unexpected to be in this room and hear this mm. guy doing his craft at such a high level, but with no mic. So I think things that change the game and just you don't expect always made me think, hey, how can we do something a bit different? How can we break some sort of rule in a way that makes it better? I'm crazy, but I always think, wouldn't it be great if we could watch music at different levels? Like imagine flying chairs. Instead of everybody sitting on the ground and barely being able to see and mm. arching your neck up, why can't you use all that space? Forget about mm. the insurance policy. But why can't you have all this space to just have people watching, <laughs> you know, literally from any angle? So the point is, Every time my world's been rocked, there's always been something just slightly different that was like broke a barrier in some way. 
So I was in Nashville a couple months ago, and we got to tour the Ryman Auditorium, I guess the home of country music. But the way the theater is designed is such that the balcony actually overhangs the lower level seating. And so even if you're up top, you feel like you're really intimate with the musician because you're like really up close. Okay. It's not far back like other theaters are. And so it makes a big difference as a fan? Yeah, for sure. I guess the challenge for you guys is every venue is set up a little bit different. So are there like mobile things you can bring in? It'd be a fun design challenge. It is a huge design challenge, both for the sound as well as things that help make it feel like a so far. Fortunately, the biggest thing that differentiates what we do is the focus, the, the quiet. It's more like what you would feel at a classical concert but rarely here in a indie or hip hop or soul or rock mm-hmm. or whatever. We're open to every genre, but I think that any room can be lit up by talent and focus. I used to work with kids and that just reminds me of quiet coyote, <laughs> you know, ah. this little coyote thing and everybody goes quiet. We need that in relationships too. <laughs> right. Just bring that up next time. <laughs> How do you see YouTube and social media as part of the business? Like, do you see that more as promotional material or do you see that as like a core, almost revenue line for the business? Definitely not a revenue line. It's definitely about spreading the word, both for us that we exist and for artists. Layer on TikTok and everything else that bubbles up. Our brand is so far the kind of experience you're going to get if you watch a clip, a teaser to make you want to both come, Mm -hmm. but also equally, if not more important to us, you know, go support that artist. So you see the video uh, so far and okay, I want to buy a ticket to a more traditional event or I'd like to buy their music or stream it or whatever. I I think that's ultimately what it Mm -hmm. is. Got it. Got it. So you guys aren't, aren't in the game of content, but more so driving people to these in-person experiences. I think that one day, you know, never say never. I think that one day we we could, and we've talked about sort of becoming more of a content-driven company. But to your point, no, very much so. Now it's it's about the experience. It's about the actual live event and about supporting artists in new ways at those events and after those events. I've been thinking about this recently, about how Gen Z is such a virtual like digital on-screen generation Mm. especially now through covid you get kids and teens and early adults who are living their social experiences Mm. through a screen and i think in a couple years you'll see them crave more and more in-person interactions coming out of this covid era which hopefully will be Mm. soon Mm. how do you think live experiences will change well gen z is embracing this sort of experience. And I think there is definitely a love-hate relationship between that generation and technology. Uh, We know that it's indispensable. We know that they're kind of bored with it and can utilize tech in a way that maybe their parents can't or they're slower to adapt to. But equally, they like to put it down, to shut it off, to check out. No surprise that there's a rush towards buying albums again and buying cameras that are not digital Mm. and going low tech and that that stuff is cool and that they're buying clothing from periods uh vintage is huge because of sustainability as well but they're also buying clothing 
that predates technology mm. uh, today or their birth. I think they're they're looking to sort of switch off, even though they're on a lot. And so a real experience mm. where people's phones are mostly down is really helpful. Also, I think that our focus, not on drinking. So for example, while we do have bars sometimes, we don't push people ever to drink. And many of our events, people bring their own or they don't. They drink water, whatever. Generation Z is the generation that I think has drank uh, less and done fewer drugs than any in history. And since it's been tracked, I'm not saying that they don't. They obviously mm. do and enjoy it, but it's way less than other generations. Mm-hmm. And so I think that an event that is, you know, it's fine to do those things, but it's just not the emphasis, I think is also a good thing for them. We also know all about authenticity, mm-hmm. no matter what you think of cancel culture or woke or all of the other trends and terms that are being thrown around. There's no question that you have to be authentic any event that is pure, that is stripped back, that is not rampantly focused on profit. I think that that's really useful. And while so far is, you know, mm-hmm. a company that is trying to make money, it's, we're doing it because we love music. And so you think of that generation and probably the one after that being very keen to cut through the BS and find things that feel real and that they'll embrace that. Rafe, I'm so inspired by what you've built and and just the pure fact that you've stuck with so far for so long and probably will keep doing this at like years into the future. For any entrepreneurs listening, what advice do you have on just staying sane and, and sticking with it? Yeah. I mean, first thing is if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you definitely have to pick something you'd like to do. You know, unless you're a mercenary and you're just going to do it for a few years and out. But if you're an entrepreneur or a serial entrepreneur, even, you know, you just got to think this is going to be a five-year thing, maybe more. And am I going to love it? And would I do it if I made no money from it? You know, and just got experience uh, or I just helped the planet in some way. For me, yeah, I would do so far as I did, money or no money. And I have other ideas and other things I've supported on the side that are non-music. And I think the commonality is all those things. I just love it. So that's, I think, the most important thing. And I think then the Mm. second thing is it's really good to start something with other people. It's harder in some ways because you all have to get along and figure things out. But it can be quite lonely as an entrepreneur and to have at least one other person, if not more, around you is super helpful to just uh, keep yourself company when things are tough. Because not everyone, everyone will have a partner to help, mm. a life partner, which definitely is useful as long as you you know are lucky and pick well to have a, a partner in your business. And then the next thing I think that kept me sane was just good advisors around. I think that that is vital. And that could be someone's parents. It could be their best friend. Or it can be someone who's a little more formal, a mentor or someone you meet through investment or an old work colleague. But just keep in mind those people who are points of light for you that you can go back to when you're stressed, you have a big problem, mm. uh, you just want to vent. Or you're proud and want to say, hey, look what we've done. And they're actually you know, there to enjoy your success. I love that way you phrased it, points of light. Who are your points of light? Whew. <laughs> 
Wow. I mean, this, the obvious things around my kids, I have two daughters and my wife, they're very important. Uh, until last year, my stepmother, who unfortunately died last year, mm. but she was a real bright spark, and my sisters. So, you know, you, you got to look at family pretty quickly. And then I have a couple of friends in the UK, because mm. I've been here 21 years, who become very close and who were there for me with so far and would always speak the truth, challenge. Mm. You know, a good friend is someone who challenges everything in the right way you know, you'll get the honest response. So uh, a couple super good friends who I respect them for their business acumen as well. Amazing. It sounds like you have a lot of wonderful ladies in your family. I'm surrounded. Yes. Yes. The dogs are even female. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much for bringing your energy to the show today, Rafe. This has been a wonderful conversation. If folks are interested in following along so far in your work, where can they find you and, and what can we expect to see from so far? Oh, sure. Well, I'm on Instagram, Rafe Offer. Uh, I think there's an underscore in there. I'm happy for anyone to email me at Rafe at SoFarSounds.com. And you can follow so far on Instagram as well. You know, I think the main thing anyone out there can do is come to an event. And if you like at least one of the acts, please do support them. The musicians of the world are such beautiful people and they need all the help they can get. And regarding so far, yeah, if you ever are interested in helping us in your city, wherever that is, please get in touch. I'll connect you to whoever the right person is or find us through the website. But uh, we're always growing our community. And, you know, even if you don't care about the music, come because you might meet somebody. As I said earlier, you might end up finding your true love. It's happened. Who knows? So lots of reasons to come. Yes. So many reasons to come. <laughs> I highly recommend. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> Appreciate you for that. And that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. I'd love to hear what you got out of this episode. Take a picture of where you're listening from and tag me on a story at Inside Out with Jane. I'll be back here next Tuesday, and in the meantime, chat with you online. Bye.